You're listening to Music Tectonics. Welcome to the first episode of Music Tectonics. This is a podcast where we explore what's beneath the surface of music and technology. My name is Dimitri Vitsa. I'm your host. I'm also the founder and CEO of Rock, Paper, Scissors. We're a PR firm that specializes in music technology as well as technology and music. And I have with me Tristra New Year Jaeger. Hey, everybody. Tristra's our lead writer and strategist at Rock, Paper, Scissors, been with us for over a dozen years as well. And uh, again, this is our kickoff episode for Music Tectonics. And um, over time, we're looking to do interviews, do news roundups uh, about all the ways in which music and technology interact and and, uh, influence what's happening in the music industry and the technology industry. Um, But we thought we'd kick it off by just kind of doing a broad level conversation about some of the shifts that have been happening over the last, oh, 100 years. Well, really, (laughs) maybe the last last decade um, in the music space and um, and just and just use that as a starting point to, to welcome you to the music tectonics concept so the one that that um, I had been thinking about probably a good five years ago that still I think people don't talk about a lot but it are really is, is really underneath the surface of a lot of what's changing in the music industry is that music production is now in the hands of the masses and um, just the idea that when I started in the music industry in the late 90s, um, there, you know, there really wasn't a lot of bedroom musicians who were able to bring their music to, to the marketplace. Um, and now that's shifted so much. And we see it um, just impacting just how much music is getting released. I mean, if you, one, one aspect, one, one way of looking at that is just how many more releases there are now. And it's it's a, it's also uh, it's a volume issue um, in terms of just there are just hundreds of thousands of tracks being uploaded to all sorts of various platforms and places. Um, but the other question I think is really interesting that doesn't get talked about a, a bunch, though it has been explored somewhat, is that certain genres and types of production are really favored by. Uh, this sort of mass um, access to recordings. So if I am um, a cello player who really wants to do a small orchestra arrangement of my compositions, I'm going to be in a different place than someone who is making really awesome electro pop on their laptop. And um, there is a, a real... It's, it's an interesting question, um, what gets favored by algorithms as well as what is just out there for people to discover and how that influences taste. We often think about taste as something coming from inside us, right? Like something that drives us. But supply, I mean, everyone who ever worked in pop radio can tell you that supply really does drive demand sometimes. The more times people hear a certain song or sound, the more likely they are to start liking it. Um, so you can kind of be, this is a horrible thing to say, but you can kind of be beaten uh, over the head with something so much that you start to enjoy it. Um, and, and I think all of us can, can remember times when we've, a song has driven us crazy and then all of a sudden something happened and we're like, I actually kind of like that part of that song. Um, and there's a lot of le- legitimately awesome music being made by independent, self-managed, um, quote-unquote, bedroom musicians. Um, well, I mean, the other thing that this, this factor that, that music being in the hands of the masses leads to is that you get more intergenerational um, differences in how music is created, how it's composed and arranged, produced. It's not just the, I mean, it's almost like the, the technology that's being used and the accessibility of the technology leads to new 
new forms of music. Absolutely. And then we've, we, we've seen that time and again with invention of, you know, with the drum machines going from being this huge piece of studio equipment to something someone could have um, on stage with them um, to programming becoming way more user-friendly um, instead of having a complicated interface with lots of floppies and, and other, you know, um, impediments to creating. You can look at something visually and move it around. And um, I think the way um, younger musicians are approaching composing even in more let's let's call them legacy formats whether we're talking about uh, jazz or classical styles or even longer form um, uh, songs or you know like the rock album um, you're, you're really looking at people approaching the even making a longer form uh piece like that in a, in a really different way often by building up things in bits and pieces and by seeing them and not necessarily just hearing them there's lots of very very interesting things going on in that realm yeah and and, and uh, i mean you can think even to the point of of what types of gear and hardware people are using or software for that matter to make music also as a result of i mean as a result of this kind of transfer of production tools to more and more people i mean even if something is uh, maybe t- t- taking for granted as, as uh, turntable use and, mm-hmm. and so forth. And then, you know, several years ago, we saw kind of a boom of, of people repurposing video game hardware, reprogramming some of the hardware to, to use to create music that is more in line with the type of life and experience that, that those music creators were having. You know, these uh, beeps and blips and so forth were maybe a new language for some listeners, but other folks have been playing video games for 20 years now and they're exactly. they're making making music with it you know uh, kind of a sub shift that i was going to bring up that's related to this is there's substantially more music than ever yeah and so i think well we talked about the production and the impact on the aesthetic and so forth um uh, of of uh having access to production there's also this impact of the industry the market overall what it means to have so much music and you know also we, the quality may be different or the the aesthetic may be different uh what level of quality is acceptable sometimes you end up with something that musically just sounds great but never would have been put out by a major record label because uh, uh, it was done in such a janky way yeah i mean we've heard of independent musicians who are <laughs> literally using cassette tape decks to 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 create tracks that they layer into their recording and, and things like that too but but the 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 just the sheer quantity has changed quite a bit in the music industry you know what do i listen to you know if i you know on something like a spotify or an apple music i've access to millions and millions of tracks and uh what we we saw some statistics a year or two ago about what percent of those tracks have never been played more than once or at all. <laughs> and interestingly, at the same time, um, you, some recent research came out that showed that there was a deeper listening in quote-unquote catalog. And just to define this for folks out there who aren't um, in the deep in the music business weeds, catalog does not mean something from 20 years ago. It's usually 18 months to two years, I believe. So fairly recent releases, but not fresh, um, hot off the presses, the thing that everyone is talking about. Um, there, you know, that there is much more listening in um, catalog, you know, so so younger listeners listening to something back that was, you know, released way back in 2001, um, because it's getting, it's popping up on their discovery playlists, or they're defining it some other way through friends, or just 
interest or going down a rabbit hole of related artists so that kind of thing and listening to someone's entire um, set of top recordings that you know come up on a streaming service like Spotify so those um, those kind of trends are also really interesting so on one hand you have this whole just sea of unheard music and on the other hand uh, and then you also have this incredible uh, ability to return to all of this older stuff that would have you know you would have never bought maybe that live album at a record store but you're happy to listen to it on Spotify and you actually discover like you like this one live version more and you listen to it 10 times or um, so there's a lot of interesting uh, changes to, to listening patterns in that I think you know having a having to purchase an object a discrete object changed the way uh, folks approached the decision to listen and being able to just listen at will to skip to think to go back and hear something five times in a row um, really changes I think the way we embrace music and um, in some ways it people talk about skipping and attention spans um, you know it's really hard to judge that because we don't have data from how people listen to cassettes or CDs or LPs but the, at the same time um, I think there's a lot of deep listening going on people listening to tracks over and over again one little anecdotal proof of that is I have a friend who is a non-commercial um, artist doesn't you know necessarily pop up on major play, you know playlists on Spotify but she ended up getting a noticeable check from Spotify thanks to one person who apparently loved or one set of listeners who loved her song so much in um, a small Eastern European country that they played this song over and over again and she was able to buy groceries for the week thanks to this person's obsessive listening so I don't know what that was Um, you know there's talk of bots etc but I don't think that was uh, she you know that was not the the question here it was just one person's obsession can shift how an artist is received by other potential listeners. So, so I want to put a name to one of the things you were talking about a minute ago, the, the changing listen, listening habits have we, as we've gone from physical to digital, which, um, I, again, this was maybe five years ago where people were talking about music like water, like oh, treating music almost like it's almost like a utility, which is not something you want to say to somebody who spend their life and, and uses all their energy, passion, resources, struggling and making music. But, uh, but, but from a consumption side, it's, it's interesting to think about, yeah, you can save up your allowance or your paper, paper route money back in the day and go and buy some records. Um, or now you, you pay this monthly fee and you have access to so much stuff. And it does, it does change the, the habits, the, the, the listening habits. And you, you, I think it's leading to new types of, not new types, but kind of a new pattern of discovery in the mm-hmm. sense that there's very little risk to hit play. Yeah, you know, and um, and you know, back in the the heyday of the CD moment of the music industry, you would go into a Borders bookstore or Tower Records, and there'd be these listening stations. So you'd have mm-hmm. to physically go in there to listen to stuff. And now you can you have endless listening stations on your on your uh, streaming service um, uh, subscription. So that's kind of an interesting uh, tra- um, pattern below the the surface here. And the interesting thing is, if you think about water, let's keep let's keep on. on <laughs> on that metaphor, it doesn't really know um, our imagined human boundaries, right? So a river flows across a national border. Um, and the same thing is happening with music. We're okay. starting to see, uh, I mean, and there's been, they're starting to see, for instance, you know, Spanish language artists being able to make a real impact, um, have, you know, a lot of chart success on quote unquote mainstream um 
channels, whether it's radio or, or other measures. Online video. Online YouTube. video, exactly. Um, but at the same time, Spanish is sneaking into indie rock. It's sneaking into, I mean, the other day, I don't know how I found this track. I think it was actually on a Spotify playlist of music from the Arabic speaking world. There was a track from, I believe, from Morocco that had a, a smattering of both um, English and Spanish tossed in there. Um, so there's this fascinating moment where language starts to, you know, there's no, maybe there's not going to be a dominant language of pop music. Maybe it will be a mix of a bunch of different languages that are, that depending on the artist and the style and the flavor you want to add to your track, you may say something in French. You may say something in, I don't know, Swahili, which, Chinese, which, you know, is, whatever it is. Which is probably already the case in certain parts of the world, just not, hasn't been as common in the United States. And not in the pop not in the pop right. format. Yeah. Um, and the other thing that's happening is that, um, you know, younger listeners have no problem throwing, um, you know, a Malian blues track or um, a club, you know, a club DJ from Brazil or some of the music that would have been considered, um, you know, on the edge of mainstream or conventional. This is everyday diet for a lot of younger listeners. And that's really encouraging. Um, you know, I think a lot of the gloom and doom about younger um, younger listening habits uh, is, is a bit over a bit overblown. Sort of like the avocado hating um, theme <laughs> that is you know makes for great clickbait, but it's not really uh, you know not telling the whole story. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of younger listeners are really curious and do want to find interesting new stuff and do have a deep emotional connection with music. I mean, maybe not everybody, but not everybody did back in the day. I do think it's interesting what you're saying when you, you start to carry the water metaphor forward and talk about national borders. And I mean, those things, when, you, when, when music was being distributed in physical format, there were some serious uh, challenges to having a global audience for, for physical products. But yeah. in the digital, sure, there's still, some, there's still some relationships and negotiations and licensing issues and so forth that need to be dealt with and, and, and uh, splits that are different across different territories and, and things like that. But that is, I think that is part of the huge growth growth we're seeing in the, the the rebirth of the music industry the revenue side of the music industry is is that um, people are attacking uh, t- attacking the market as a global market rather than um, just a, a handful of English speaking markets or going into you know one market at a time so that's interesting do you, do you I mean we, we have a lot of great memories at rock paper scissors of trying to coordinate global releases with artists who maybe the US wasn't their primary target market and um, it was interesting to put it very diplomatically so i think we're in this era where setting up a global release is you know it's not the easiest thing in the world but it's a thousand times easier than it was even five years ago and that that's something that hasn't really been talked about very much how and it's, and much it's easier financially it benef- beneficial now to creators to be able to, to hit that many more people in different forms um through through the global digital market so let's talk about another one that that i th- I, I think about a bit which is music has been sliced into smaller and smaller pieces um, and you can think about that in a lot of ways. I mean, I think, you know, one of the, I think one of the earlier signs of that was the use of samples in certain, you know, in hip hop, for example, um, that all of a sudden these little pieces of, you know, little samples, uh, subsections of a drum beat, um, the break would become ubiquitous across hundreds if not thousands of songs and so that's kind of when you think about samples that that part of it's interesting but you can slice it that's almost like slicing it vertically maybe you can slice it horizontally (laughs) too and look at something like lyrics for example Um, lyrics 
almost disappeared from uh, kind of consumption in a sense once we moved from from it actually I think it was I, I would argue it's wasn't it just from physical to digital because it seemed like people were getting cheaper and cheaper with their CD packages exactly, and liner notes were getting thinner was. and thinner yeah. and thinner to the point where there were no <laughs> you couldn't find the lyrics you could listen and try to listen to the lyrics and then all these websites popped up um, and then eventually um, services like Lyric Find, one of our clients, uh, popped up to actually monetize and track how lyrics were being used, not only on websites and in search engines, but also in apps and in hardware and all, all sorts of things. But that's an example where, where the, 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 the aspect of the music, the lyrics was sliced out, put back in, and now is an entirely new revenue stream that didn't exist before it was an expense, right? It was a, it was a liner notes, was an expense, and now it's, uh, it's, it's a separate revenue stream. It's kind of fun to think about how, you know, again, we often think of the slicing up of music as something you're kind of it's sort of a travesty, like you've done something bad to the music. But the example you just gave, the slicing has actually given at least songwriters that own their rights uh, an opportunity to do something they could never have done before, which is really, really control exactly where their lyrics appear, how they appear, who gets to display them, what the deal is and different. And extracting monetary value. Exactly. for, For things like display as opposed to just you know waiting for someone to cover the song or use the lyrics in some other way. So another aspect that you could think about with slicing, well, I mean, even just loops, just the idea that loops became a thing, you know, mm-hmm. people st- once people started to be able to create digital loops very simply, that became more and more ubiquitous in certain music forms and, uh, and, and loops became kind of a, a significant element of, of music and, and then you get stems. Mm-hmm. where people are taking just one aspect of a of a finished musical track or composition and then doing something new with it entirely and so then you get into the additional opportunities for mix mixing and remixing and derivative content and, and that sort of thing it's funny it kind of evolved from the dance music scene and remixes and um you know some um some vocalists in the club scene would just put out a, a B-side or something that just had the vocals so that so that DJs could play around with it. And then you think about like the mashup culture that was really big in the in the early sort of I guess it's early internet 2.0 where you'd get people really mixing songs together and they would have to have a, a, the vocal stems just the the vocal tracks as a solo. And and now it's really become uh, an art form. People are expressing themselves in original ways. And um, it's more than just a fun alternate version or a way to mix something into a bigger set, but it's really becoming a, the mixtape and the and the DJ set have become an art form of you know in and of themselves. Um, but you know, it's kind of is it is it really that far from like a symphony or something like that, right? It's it's a set of pieces based on popular dance forms that are <laughs> woven together in an epic way, right? <laughs> it's not that different. Um, anyways, I, I you'll notice that Dimitri's really loves innovation, and I tend to be the continuity gal um, I'm like the the wet blanket in the room that's like eh, it reminds me of the 18th century so it's so good to have the context me. though no I mean like <laughs> you know we're talking about stuff that's that has evolved for hundreds if not thousands of years and then it's it's you know it becomes maybe a little more relevant when we talk about the last 10 20 hundred years but whatever <laughs> I, I, I like the I like the historic that's what you get when you put someone with a PhD on a on a podcast <laughs> <laughs> womp womp um, so the, the slicing back to the slicing part another thing I know you and I have talked a lot about is how um, in some ways uh, the the short form 
a short form video has really impacted the way, especially younger music lovers are approaching the music that they love. So whether it's a, a karaoke or a lip syncing kind of scenario, or whether you're talking about people making these little videos where they sing, um, you know, they, they do something that, that pulls out just one little piece of a favorite song, um, you know, Call Me Maybe, or um, I guess there's some other good examples, Harlem Shake, or these sort of dance challenges, mm. all these little tiny little pieces. Um, but in some ways, it's, a, you know, it's an evolving, uh, it's a letting the listener evolve the original recording. So we've moved again from this very set, uh, you know, you've got this one recorded artifact that's set in, you know, set down. It's discreet. You can't do anything with it, but listen to it on a certain format. And now you can kind of start to get involved. You could remix it. You could change it. You could sync it to a video. I mean, you could reverse every other word. You can do all sorts of crazy so, so things. So I would, I would put that, there's a couple of other kind of tectonic shifts beneath the music industry that I think this this kind of brings up for me. One is that music is competing with everything now. and And the reason I bring that one up is because um, you know, there was a point at which when you thought about marketing a, a recording, you kind of would think about who are the music fans out there? How do you get it to them? How do you amplify that and so forth? But now you're competing with everybody downloading apps and, and, and games and things on their phones and their tablets and any other kind of device they come up with on their speakers and <laughs> who knows what else. But, um, but I think some of the stuff you're talking about is kind of like the gamification of music creation as mm -hmm. well, where, and it's related to everyone's got access to the tools, but then people are creating apps and games and experiences which is the other shift that i was going to mention now is that um music as an experience is a mm -hmm. is a whole other level we can get into but but you know like you know the 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 tiktok musically stuff is almost like a game in a way yeah um and so people are and and of course some of our listeners will say but i'm not going to buy a record by a tiktok artist you know i'm not, not going to listen to a stream right yeah but, you, but you don't know i mean we have seen artists that have emerged from video game soundtracks artists that have uh, emerged purely as youtube artists that were right. kind of skit slash music turning into something or somebody who was a video gamer on a YouTube or a Twitch who then also put out a song about video games or exactly. <laughs> things like that, that, that merge and stuff. But so that, that's one aspect. And then again, that music as an experience, I think we first really saw a big shift when there was a challenge to monetize recordings. Um, when, the world went digital before the industry went digital. Um, and then we saw a huge surge in more live experiences. First, just a lot of touring and interesting clubs emerging. And then the big festivals, the thematic festivals emerging that, you know, once people have so much screen time and feel so disconnected from each other and from artists that inspired them, to actually go see them in real life was like a whole, you know, Woodstock all over again. <laughs> and, and to be able to, as jaded as it sounds to monetize that um, desire for contact through VIP packages and special ticket pricing and all of these things that have really evolved uh, you know very powerfully in the last 10 years um, that that has really changed the way again people approach even going to see something which seems as straightforward as going to a concert in some ways tech and has had a huge impact on that live um, moment and what people expect from it. They really expect something more than just the dude's going to get on stage or the gal and do the thing and then yay, awesome, cool, I'm going to have a beer and then I'm going to go home. Um, 
people expect more than that. And, and that, um, I mean, maybe not always, but uh, from large arena shows, hell yeah. I mean, you've, you've paid your money and you want something amazing. So you might end up with a, a wearable that lights up the show, um, like, a, like a hurdle, or you might end up with a, a hologram on stage as well. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the, and actually, and, and, and the stage setting is one place for this kind of experience, but then we're also seeing this, uh, again, um, um, merging with other technologies so the AR VR experiences to see where that goes whether it's on the um, creation side where those tools might be used for learning how to play music or be used to create music uh, or as part of the live experience or the performative experience as well um, so it's interesting to think about so so these are some of the the, the, the plate shifts the tectonics below the surface that probably are over the last five-ish years and now you know What's next, Tristra? <laughs> well, you know, I can't. We can't have a podcast. Um, this is general ramble without talking about artificial intelligence, so-called machine learning and algorithms that have. Um, I mean, music has really played a big part in refining the, uh, especially the recommendation engine, which is you know kind of the most primitive, the most primitive version of um, this kind of technology. But artificial intelligence is starting to seep into all sorts of other steps in the production and. Um, listening processes so whether it's um, EQ that is managed by AI mastering or even composing melodies and um, what's that going to mean when you have a bank of melodies like almost every single possible melody that is considered viable by your culture has been created by a computer mm. what does that mean for composers what does that mean in terms of our views of originality our um, worship of artists as these sort of unique tormented individuals that comes from um, the romantic era and is really still alive and well today um, you know see people like everyone from the I don't know the weekend or um, <laughs> you know looking at somebody like uh, Prince and you know who I probably actually is a genius but um, there, you know there's there's a lot of interesting things that are going to change about just the way we think of ourselves as artists or in relationship to artists and AI is going to play a big role in that it can it'll I think further empower people to make music it will bring us together and maybe could be like a new folk era where everyone is kind of making and remixing and reimagining music to suit their emotional moment or it could be something that takes us further apart and you know reduces um our imaginations because we're too lazy to go out there and try to make something ourselves. It could be a little both. I mean, it's usually I, something I, unpredictable. Yeah, right? it, it'll be interesting to see. I've got a, I've got a nine-year-old son. Um, you've got young kids too. Um, and to see them jump on like a, a Loop Labs and start making music, even though really what they're doing is putting a bunch of samples together. But then the other day they went out, uh, out to the garden studio, <laughs> which uh -huh. is actually an office. Um, he, he brought a friend out and they, they were writing a song to, to do the vocals together go with it now they couldn't have come up with a band at age nine necessarily i mean they could now you could watch youtube videos for hours and learn how to be a band and play and so forth but much quicker ramp up time and now they're like well we need to write a song to go with it so <laughs> <That's> awesome <laughs> so um i'm, I'm hopeful I, i'm hopeful that the experience cr will create more access for for people to be not just consumers but also creators and i think along the way they'll still 
they'll still want to consume music by folks that have mastered the the kind the of more traditional art. craft and, and things like that. The other thing I think to keep in mind is we're just at the end of the beginning when it comes to how all this is shifting, just to use a phrase that was brought up by Benedict Evans lately. Um, there's We're just seeing how tech is going to play out, and we're just really becoming conscious of our control of these processes. This is not some weird force of nature. This isn't a tsunami. This isn't, it, we like to compare it to water, but it isn't like a wall of water coming at us. We can really really steer this mm. so in some ways the the world of the future musically is is in our hands and it's our responsibility to kind of figure out what kind of beautiful creative things we'd like to see people make and what we'd like to make ourselves i don't think we could end on a better note really <laughs> so just this is just to give you a kind of to, to whet your appetite for the types of things we want to bring up on music tectonics we envision um occasional news roundups trish will probably join me on some episodes to talk about what we're seeing uh, come across the uh the the industry news wire um we'll have interviews with guests from founders or or ceos of some of the companies that are kind of uh, spinning the wheels of of these shifts that we're talking about and uh We'll just see where it goes from here, but we hope you enjoyed listening. Thanks so much for joining us on the first episode of Music Tectonics. Check out musictectonics.com where you can read our blog, see about some of the clients we're working with at Rock, Paper, Scissors. Um, the website for Rock, Paper, Scissors is rockpaperscissors.biz. We're on all the socials. You should be able to find us. And uh, you can also sign up for our email newsletter at musictectonics.com to find out about new episodes and music industry events that we're involved with and so forth. Trisha, thanks for joining me. This is fun. Yeah, it was a blast. All right. See you guys next time join us again and spread the word thanks you're listening to music tectonics